This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 190. Today's special guest was Dr. Katie Boston Leary, and she talks with us about the importance of nurse well being from the bedside to the C suite. You won't want to miss this one, folks. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. This is the only podcast that shows you how to leverage polarity intelligence, an essential competency for healthcare leaders and the missing logic in healthcare, so you can create healthy healing organizations and become a thriving, resilient, and unstoppable healthcare leader. We are your hosts, Tracy Christofferson and Michelle Troset. We've been best friends and colleagues for over 30 years. And during that time, we coached healthcare leaders across North America around how to create healthy healing organizations. Today, we coach healthcare leaders and leadership teams to live thriving, resilient, and balanced lives, combat burnout, and create the best places to give and receive care. This podcast is for the unsung hero of healthcare, the healthcare leader. We want you to know we see you and we'll be here for you each week. In this podcast, we're going to challenge healthcare's industry norms, flip limiting beliefs, and share proven strategies so you can be your best self at working at home, live and lead intentionally, and experience well-being and joy. We are glad you are here and look forward to sharing the journey with you. If you aren't totally convinced this podcast is for you, just listen to a few episodes and convince yourself. Well, hello, everybody. It's another episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Tracy. And I am the other, Michelle. So quiet and gentle, that voice is. <laughs> it's a quiet day. I'm using my indoor voice today, evidently, Tracy. <laughs> evidently. She must be just zoning out here, just chilling, zenning. I'm pretty chill after that last interview. Yeah, it was great. It was a really great interview with Katie. And uh, wow, like... Could have just sat here and talked for a couple more hours. I think so. Yeah? I think so. Yeah. She's just a lovely person, a lot of energy, a lot of great information. And just really um, what struck me about her is she's living her purpose and living on purpose. I mean, she's really bringing what she's learned into her significant role at the American Nurses Association. Mm, yeah. 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 And she's uh, she's really been studying what's happening out there and uh, shared some great data insights with us and and it aligns with everything we're seeing i know when we're I talking know. to leaders every day so yep great alignment and great chemistry with us and dr katie boston leary so let us tell you a little bit about her she is the director of nursing programs at the american nurses association overseeing the nursing practice and work environment division and healthy nurse healthy nation She's also the co-lead for Project First Line, a multi-million dollar grant collaborative with the CDC for training on infection prevention and control. Katie is also the co-chair of the DEI Committee for the Healthcare Leaders Network Delaware Valley and ACHE affiliate. She helped redesign the Nurse Leadership Institute at the University of Maryland with an embedded coaching program. Katie is an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland School of Nursing and the School of Nursing at Case Western Reserve University. She is a board member on St. John's University Health Programs and an editorial advisor board member with WebMD Medscape. She was identified in August 2019 Health Leaders Journal as one of the 
five chief nursing officers changing healthcare. Her most recent research was qualitative study on nurses' perception of power dynamics in the hospital setting. She is a well-known speaker nationally and internationally with many publications and podcast guest invitations, and we are so grateful she accepted our invitation to be a guest on Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. So here is our interview with Katie. Well, welcome, Dr. Katie Boston-Leary to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Thank you. Um, I appreciate being here and really uh, thankful for you having me on your amazing program. Uh, Thanks. We're super excited for today. We are. We are looking forward to this conversation. So our first question for you is that we know burnout is top of mind for all health professions and that it's just been running rapid throughout the healthcare community. And we also know that COVID-19 really exasperated um, stress for healthcare executives and the workforce. So we'd like you to start out by telling us about the American Nurses Association or ANA's Healthy Nurse Healthy Nation program and efforts that your program is doing to help nurses combat burnout. Sure. Um, and um, I, I, I think that's a great opener because one of the things that we continue to stress, and I probably should use a different word. This issue, right, of burnout, stress, injury has always been there, right? It's not uh, something new or a newly discovered phenomenon as it, rela- as it relates to nurses. Um, is it more pronounced um, now since the start of the pandemic? Absolutely. It, it, has it uh, waned uh, since we're at the um, somewhere between the um, downslope of the, the peak um, uh, where we should start doing some rebuilding? Um, yes, it is. Uh, but uh, Healthy Nurse Healthy Nation was formed five years ago. We're actually celebrating our, our anniversary, our fifth anniversary, because we recognized uh, through data that uh, the nursing profession is one of the unhealthiest professions um, in the U.S. Um, we had enough data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics around um, where nurses stand compared to other professions in terms of nutrition, sleep, exercise, um, and, and, and healthy eating, um, and really about how um, even the occupational hazards that surrounds a profession that um, impacts nurses' uh, overall well-being, um, we felt that we should do something. So uh, the Healthy Nurse Healthy Nation program has been in place, um, um, as I said earlier, for about five years, and the focus has really been on bringing to light the fact that um, it's important to f- focus on nurses' well-being, um, and, and comprehensively, by the way, not just mm-hmm. one aspect over another. Um, and um, we offer these programs and services and resources for free. We felt that that was important because this is mission-based and we um, have been in this space for a while and we've been collecting data ourselves um, over the last five years that indicates that um, we need to sit up and take notice and do something about nurses' overall health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any improvement since you started the programs, Katie? Well, it's hard to say. Um, uh, uh, so I'll start with this. We did finally do um, a longitudinal study um, on this. And 
Um, it doesn't necessarily indicate that there's improvement. Um, what we are seeing is that certain groups are, um, of nurses in certain settings uh, struggle more than others. Um, it depends on whether you're in a acute care setting, um, your age and all that. There's so many variables. Um, the other thing that makes it hard to determine whether there's been an improvement is because the true longitudinal study would mean that the same group of nurses that took the initial study would be the same nurses, group of nurses that will study over the years. And we have not found that with our uh, research because um, you know, we know that nurses tend to engage in, in more other care than self-care. So in a lot of cases, when we do these studies um, and we've assessed the data we've received from our heat map surveys, which is a survey that an assessment that every nurse um, does when they enter into um, uh, being a participant in Healthy Nurse Healthy Nation, um, they don't come back and do a repeat study to indicate, you know, whether they have improved or not. So collectively and cumulatively, it's, a, it's hard for us to say, but we do know that um, we were as uh, we uh, we're even more concerned now than we were back then yeah. when we started looking at this thing. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Well, that says a lot, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we knew, you know, when COVID hit, there was so much support for the front line and nurses, mm -hmm. you know, which they needed desperately, and we were so thrilled to see so much support going out to them. But we kind of had an inkling that it wasn't going to be long before the leaders were going to be experiencing the same thing. The, you know, they were under tremendous amount of stress and strain and have been, right, for mm -hmm. years as well. And uh, and so, you know, and we know they're the linchpin in the organization. If they're not strong, it's difficult for the clinicians to be strong and for the organization to be strong. And so we kind of turned our attention towards them. And, and we noted that you also studied... Um, the chief nurse executives and their experiences during COVID. And your study was the lived experiences of chief nursing executives during the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you share with us a little bit about your findings and the top three um, challenges that they faced leading through the pandemic? Yeah. Um, and, and first of all, I'd like to shout out to um, Health Leaders Media for helping sponsor our study and also to a, a dear, sweet colleague of mine who's since retired, Dr. Linda Hoffler. And, but, yeah. you know, when a nurse retires, they don't really retire, so she's still busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, uh, we, all three entities and people, uh, put our heads together because we felt that we need to do something in this space. And um, we uncovered some very interesting facts. Uh, and this was a a mixed methods approach, if you will, where we, mm -hmm. we actually had a quantitative study, survey go out. And we also did some one-on-one -on -one interviews of nurses uh, to find out how they were feeling. And uh, the top three challenges that were identified um, during the pandemic uh, was uh, staffing was number one, of course, and um, nothing came close to that by a mile. Uh, second was burnout. Third was turnover. And I'll add in the fourth, which is uh, capacity. Um, um, workload made the top five, right? And part of that has to do with the fact that um, the span of control for nurse leaders are insane. Yeah. And it's understandable in, to a certain degree because we are the largest workforce. 
in any institution, particularly in hospitals where most of our CNOs are, um, they have the largest workforce, i.e. the largest expense. Um, and, um, and, and the FTE count doesn't do it, right? Because uh, you have your per diems and your part-times and all of those pieces that need to be considered. Um, and below the CNO, there's not much of uh, uh, layering of support, if you will, to reduce um, um, a lot of what's required in terms of your span of control. Um, and it gets worse um, when you get down to the manager level. So um, not surprising there, but staffing was number one. And we're seeing that play out also with our uh, staff nurse uh, feedback in terms of uh, intent to leave the profession if you were to leave, why would you? Um, and uh, the feedback that we got in that survey, which is conducted by the American Nurses Foundation, is staffing and second is well-being. So for the first time, I think ever, um, you have chief nurses and staff nurses saying the top two issues of staffing and burnout and well-being being their key issues that needs to be addressed which will impact their willingness to stay in their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot to pay attention to there because the staffing issues, again, are more pronounced. And we're seeing data that suggests that we have a drop in the nursing workforce for the first time, a 4% drop in, in the last four, four, 40 years. And uh, that drop is with a certain group of nurses, not, not nurses that are close to retirement. It's actually um, the future um, our nurses between 25 to 40, 34 years old that are um, opting out. So uh, we have to really look at how we can better support our chief nurses so they can better support their leaders, so they can better support their teams, um, yeah. i.e. nurses that are taking care of patients. Yeah. Uh, I'm really big on uh, Simon Sinek's uh, thinking here where he says that a, a healthcare leader's role is to take care of the people that take care of patients. Um, And uh, we have to make sure that systems are set up for chief nurses to do exactly that. Um, And and there's a lot more work to be done because uh, what we also found when we did these interviews, um, there's, of course, this cloak of bravery that you have to wear as a chief nurse that everything's going to be all right and you have things under control. And for most of the folks that we talked to, um, there's a lot of fear and concern and a relief to be able to share openly about the fact that they don't always feel that way. And the other startling uh, finding from our uh, interviews and um, the survey that we released um, was that most CNOs sought support outside of their institutions. Most of them reported to their chief executive officer, officer of course, but the support that they needed that was most meaningful didn't come from within. It came from outside, um, which is also pretty telling, right? Because mm-hmm. um, the pressures that you do have as a chief nursing officer with um, cost control, managing labor and things like that, um, it really causes this uh, dichotomy where um, I have these obligations, but when I'm really at this point where I'm up against the wall, um, I don't know that I feel safe um, seeking yeah. the support that I need with, within my yeah. organization, which is uh, really concerning. Yes, mm-hmm. very concerning. 
It really is. Mm-hmm. You know, CNOs mm-hmm. need psychological safety and totally, totally. And we definitely <laughs> saw a lot of moral distress. Um, mm-hmm. uh, chief nursing officers that um, didn't sleep well. Yeah. Um, they would. Uh, there was one example where um, mm-hmm. a chief nurse said, as soon as she got in the door and put her keys down, she got a call and went right back outside. Um, and when we also, which is another interesting thing that we found, when we also tried to, um, uh, when we asked them a question about what do you think you need, um, what would you, uh, what would would have been beneficial to you uh, to help you through this crisis, almost immediately they'll start talking about what they can be for their teams. They did not take the time to turn it inward and talk about what support they need themselves. It was always about their teams and being there for them and being supportive for them, which again, um, is concerning, right? Because they need to be poured into too, right? They deserve, uh, love and support and well-being and care. And some of that was forgotten during that time. That is exactly what we have found coaching healthcare leaders and with the CNOs we've been working with as well is immediately they go to their team and they really don't start with themselves at all. Well, and right. I think it's all I think it's all the way down the line. It's yeah. every leader, every healthcare leader um is really uh you know, and it's a part of the nature of the role, right? Like we care for people, right? It's what we do and then they feel such a strong responsibility to the team that they're sacrificing themselves, their personal well-being for the team. And that's a shift that we need to make um, psychologically. There's a cost and there's a price to pay um, for that piece. And we're seeing that, right? There's a lot of turnover at the CNO level. Yeah. Yeah. um, More than we've ever seen. And um, this is a time where we need strong leaders. Yes. And the the pool of strong, experienced leaders is becoming shallow. Yeah. And um, at the same time, for the for the nurse leaders that are staying in the arena, um, their teams are asking for something different. Um, They're asking for and and we need to be receptive to that, uh, Mm -hmm. because uh, similar to to the point that you were making about how um, it is that sacrifice. It is the nature of the beast uh, for you to mm-hmm. uh, struggle through and suffer through to be successful. Um, we have this newer generation that's saying um, of, of nurses that are coming into the profession and saying not so much. Yeah. Um, and uh, for years, we focused too much on the millennials in terms of what they want and how unreasonable they were being. <laughs> but I and that always made me cringe because there was a lot of truth in what they were saying in terms of how we need to look at things differently that we never really paid attention to. And um, there was a bit of an annoyance in some circles about uh, millennials and the shift and the thinking that they were looking for in terms of how we led and how we supported them. Um, And um, I chose to actually focus on the, the millennial effect where there were things that millennials were saying that we should pay attention to and do differently that were starting to resonate with nurses that have been in the profession for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And they were asking for those things too. Sure. Mm -hmm. So um, similar to how we've shifted over the years from an industrial model um, to where we are today with this new knowledge era, um, we have to think about how this 
workforce um, is different. Yep. We should not resist it. We should heed. We should um, partner. Um, we should have um, these groups at the table to redesign um, what the nursing workforce should look like and how leadership, what leadership should look like, particularly in the fourth industrial revolution that we're in. Yeah. 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 That we feel the same way, Katie, like the opportunities right in front of us and we can't keep forging forward. We really, it's a time to pause. What is this informing us and how do we need to course correct? Yeah. And I, th- and then there are just some leadership norms not even necessarily unique to healthcare, right? There are those norms that we have got to bust through. We've got to break those barriers down so that these leaders can be successful without burnout uh, being the cost that they pay for it. Yeah. Right. And it starts at the top. Um, It starts with uh, CEOs and CFOs really listening and Mm -hmm. um, seeing some of the things that we've done over the years for nurses as a nice to have and, and, you know, what's to do with all these luncheons and parties and, and celebrations that you do and, and um, how that was scoffed at over the years by some, not all. Um, and and uh, really think differently about how some of those things were warranted and they were needed because the you know things are hard and then you also find that um, the simple things are not simple anymore. Um, the roles that used to be there for support, the IV therapy teams, the the pharmacy techs that are available at night, the runners that will go to the supply room at night. Some of those roles were cut for the sake of make you know making margins. Yeah. Those all take tolls, right? That makes the yeah. job even harder. Um, and then you have the way nursing is, nurses are looked uh, or managed, so that workforce is managed um, uh, financially. And it's always about, um, it's less about focusing on how nurses are impacting the bottom line. And it's more about how we can cut and save and and, 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 and really, uh, you know, condense services. And, and those are the things that are, you know, this is where you, you know, my grandma say the chickens come into roost now. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. it's really at that point where those things that were done, um, we're now paying the consequences. And, um, now that even if we're in the time where they want to be brought back, there's so much competition for some of those support roles in other industries it's hard to get them back. So when we don't have those roles in place, it makes it harder for nurses. And and it's it nursing is a physically and psychologically psychologically taxing position or role. Um, mm-hmm. And we have responsibility as leaders to relieve some of those burdens as much as we can, so nurses can focus appropriately on providing patient care. Because the biggest issue for nurses that we're seeing in our data is that. They leave every day feeling that they did not provide the quality care that they would have liked to provide that their patients. Yeah, and yeah. There, there's a moral injury with that, right? Yes. So um, that's why we have to look at doing things differently. Yeah. Totally wow. agree. That is so true. <laughs> it is, <laughs> and you know, one of the lines that jumped out at us in your um, leadership study that you were just referring to is the internal tension or pull that you know, nurse executives feel. And that's actually work that Tracy and I are doing with leaders is pay attention to that internal tension and pull because it's actually a polarity. It's a tension that is trying to help you understand Mm -hmm. something is being neglected. And um, 
So we were really struck that they brought that forward, maybe didn't use the same words, but mm-hmm. they really brought, they're trying to support their teams and, you know, care for their own well-being. And we just did a presentation to 240 nurse execs last week, and we did what we call a room split, and we asked to go stand on the side of the room with that that your what your preference pull is caring for others going back to what we talked about earlier or caring mm-hmm. for self and there were only like 5 people standing on the caring for self so it tells you we have a lot of work to do for leaders to understand both are important and as a leader what do i need to do to care for myself so i can Going back to your Simon said it, care for the team. So we have a lot of work to do there. And we're just, what do you think the awareness, is there awareness that you see that leaders are beginning to realize, hey, my self-care is important? Are you having any of those conversations? Yeah, well, we have to remove um, some of the old adage adage that um, if you're a true leader, you're there all the time. Yeah. Um, you're yeah. rounding all the time. You're present all the time. You're visible all the time. Um, that is a very high expectation. And, and yeah. I don't think that there's any other healthcare leader that has that expectation in any institution than, than CNOs. And there yeah. is, um, no grace. If you run into, mind you, you may have 8,000 nurses in your employee and in, in your, in your, in your scope, and you run into mm-hmm. one and you don't know their name and there's a shaming and, and, and lack of grace for that. And I remember I used to have this pressure to meet everyone, um, which took a lot, right? Because um, you can't be everywhere every time. It's a workforce that's constantly moving in and out. Um, and, and so it, you can't keep up with that. But that was an expectation of me as a chief nursing officer, which is insane. Um, and yeah. some of that, um, uh, annoyance in terms of not knowing people, um, which is understandable would come actually from your nurses. Um, so how do you manage that? And I do think part of that is recognizing, um, with to everyone, the, ex, you know, setting expectations early, yes. um, about how I'm not going to get it right all the time. I'm not going to know all your names. I'm going to do my best but the most important thing is that know that I work for you. I support you. I advocate for you. And I have an open door anytime you want to walk through. And if I'm available, I will make mm-hmm. myself available. If I'm not available, you need to give me grace for the fact that I have to take care of myself to take care of you. Right. Yeah. Now, um, there is um, also a, a premise I like to emphasize about how well-being does not start when you leave the building where you're employed. It actually should start where you are employed. I'm all about the Gallup mm-hmm. model about well-being being brought in the building. It needs yeah. to be integrated in your workspaces. Um, and yeah. that goes for the CNO as well. And and I remember even when I did not have enough time to take vacation and have days off and everything, there was a joy that I felt knowing that my nurses were taken care of. There was a, there was a joy that I felt in seeing them have a good time. Mm -hmm. We just had a magnet conference that we had our best attendance ever. We had 11,000 ish nurses that came to Philadelphia, a magnet pathway conference. And I can't tell you that one of our welcome events that we had, 
um, at um, in 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 the city, um, and all these nurses are there, and they're having an amazing time. And I just was content just standing there and watching them have yeah. fun. That gave me joy. Yeah. Right? That was my gratitude. Because you know that these guys has had it really rough mm-hmm. of the last couple of years. And when they leave here, it's still going to be rough when they go back to where, they're, yeah. where they came from. So right. I was content just standing there and watching them have a good time. Yeah. And we have to set up structures where well-being is a part of our, our, our fabric. Yeah. where there is yeah. no shaming in mm-hmm. a nurse saying, I'm going to take a minute and take a walk because it's nice outside. Yeah. Or um, I'm going to go get a, an ice cream. Could you cover my patient? It's okay for me to take a break, even though I'm behind. Um, and we need to do what we can to make sure nurses are not behind and they, they're having to work extra to, to get all their work done. But um, those little things that we need to plant in the building and make it okay, because to a yeah. certain degree, nurses need permission unfortunately, which is so unfortunate, but that's where we are to take these, make these moments of wellness. And, but I think if we start internally, build it there, the rest will come because 12 hours is a long time to not do much to do, to not do much for yourself. Right. Right. And some cases not do anything for yourself, but you know, meet your biological needs. And we have to do more during those 12 hour shifts, 10 hours, whatever, uh, for nurses to really have moments where they can they can really be reminded to take care of themselves while they're meeting their biological needs. Yeah. <laughs> um, because and then that sets up the fact that when I leave, I'll continue to build on that. Because yeah. most nurses, when they leave uh, their place of employment, they still have to engage in other care because they're they're their mothers, they're their daughters, they're taking care of aging, aging patient, parents, they, they mm-hmm. have uh, spouses that they have to support. They have to pick kids up from daycare. Yeah. It still continues when they leave. So the key thing is uh, the whole thing about work-life balance, which I shed, is more about life, uh, work integration into life and life first and how you should set up moments in your life to give yourself joy. I think if we think of, and for example, and I remember during, uh, there will be times where I always in my phone would have some of my favorite songs. And um, after a long day, I would make sure I have one of my favorite songs ready to play. And it could be a gospel song or 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 something from Beyonce that, that would give me joy. <laughs> and I will play it loudly. And even if my phone is ringing, unless it's an emergency, I'm, I'm going to listen to that song until the end because I yeah. feel... I, I would always think that I have to have some sort of a barrier or crossover from the day that I just had at work to yeah, yeah. this other space where I need to be at my best and and be loving towards those that love me. And mm-hmm. I that's one of the ways I could do that. Yeah. It's great. It's yeah, a great that's... example of a shutdown routine that we work with leaders on. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, I think we have grown up with the um, with the belief that work-life balance isn't possible. Yeah, but that's one of the things that we have recognized that it we can have both. We can have a thriving professional life and a thriving home life as well, or personal life. It's just um, understanding the tension that sits between those two. Those are it's a polarity. It's a dynamic that's always going to be there, and it's really about a dynamic balance more than a fifty fifty balance. And you have to honor the two those two different components of your life. 
and how they work together to help you get that highest quality of life and to really thrive as a as a human being as an individual and and you're you know it, and so it takes the individual has to do their work just like you set up a habit for yourself here's what i do you know the individuals um, need to take responsibility for themselves and their personal well-being and the organization take care of the infrastructures, the system yes. components as well, right? Uh, because to your point, once I leave that environment, I'm going into another environment and that personal environment I control. I make the decisions. I choose how I'm going to be in that environment as well and how that environment impacts me. And so it's that both and of um, individual and organization and personal life and professional life and understanding the tension that sits between them and how that's just a natural tension that's not ever going to go away. We just have to learn to leverage it like you do tension in a bow and arrow, right? Totally. And um, there's this constant shifting, right? Yes. Yes. Self-correct all the time. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I did a talk uh, yesterday at a, a, a hospital in Maryland. They had their uh, professional development day. And I showed a video of a kid on a skateboard. And for him to be on that skateboard, there's this constant movement of his feet back and yeah. forth, right? Yeah. And yeah. to make sure that he stays on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what the, the approach that we need yeah. to take to this, yes. to this concept, yes. right? You, it's this constant shifting that's required. Yeah. Um, it's not a static approach. It has to be dynamic. You have yep. to adjust accordingly. If you don't do it so well um, on uh, November 3rd, do it, try aim to do better on the 4th and, yep. you know, and just continue to shift your feet. Yeah. Um, and I think once you get in the habit of knowing that you deserve it, yes, right. You, mm -hmm. we deserve to have playtime, to have me time. Um, yeah. that's where the shifting happens because I also yeah. share that for you to engage in self-care, you have to have self-love. Yeah. You have Definitely. to love yourself first mm -hmm. and know that you can, you should do that for yourself mm -hmm. And there's no apologizing or anything that comes with doing that. I used to have this habit of if I had a day off, I had to pack my day with appointments mm. and things to do to um, make me feel fulfilled and not waste a day doing nothing. Mm -hmm. My husband is the one that said, what are you doing? Like, it's okay <laughs> to do nothing. And, and uh, a very wise person told me that um, we have to learn that it's okay to be bored. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's okay to be bored and be still <laughs> at times yeah. because that's a gift you can give yourself. Yeah. Um, because we are in a human energy crisis yeah. where uh, demand is outpacing capacity, right? Yeah. Constantly. So to meet those needs, you have to figure out how you can refuel. And refueling is for you to take the time for yourself. Now, and I'll yeah. say, you know, as much as I say this, do I do it right all the time? Absolutely not. I'm at this point where I haven't been on vacation in a while. I'm trying to plan it. But one thing I can tell you, I make my moments for wellness all the time, all the time. Yeah. I always do something for myself every day, sometimes yeah. multiple things for myself every day. And sometimes it only takes maybe five minutes. Yep. I, I would drive around with a golf club in my, in my, uh, in my trunk. And anytime if I, um, and I would plan sometimes to just go to a hitting range because mm -hmm. to be out there and I'm not a great golfer by the way, by any means, but <laughs> I just figured that that's a solo sport that I can mm -hmm. set yes. up where I can go to Starbucks 
put get my favorite drink, um, go to a driving range or even at a park and hit a ball. Mm-hmm. And and that's a release. Sure. So yeah. there are a number of things you can do to build it in and hack yourself because we have to hack ourselves. Otherwise, life oh, yeah. would become busy and we won't take care sure. of ourselves. Yeah. 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 That's so true. I love that. I do too. And, you know, I think the other thing is... Um, You've done so much incredible work in really uncovering what's happening in nursing. One of the questions we have for you is, are you doing any collaborations, A&A doing any collaboration with other professions? Because we know these things are not unique to just nurses, that all the health professions are suffering in different ways and struggling and leaders as well in those professions. Are, are, is there any interprofessional collaboration happening currently? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, one thing I did not say, which I should have said, healthy, even though our program is called Healthy Nurse, Healthy Nation, it's, it's open to anyone. Oh. Whether you're in healthcare or not, um, even if you're a spouse of someone that you know, or you just happened on our site, you can go on our site and take the uh, the heat map survey and see where you fall in terms of your overall wellness. And, and it's fine. So it's really open to everyone because we do believe that um, uh, self-care is, and well-being is a team sport. Yeah, um, It's not something some of us can just do on our own. Sometimes we need mm-hmm. a peer, and we know that the most effective wellness programs come with that peer support, right? So mm-hmm. um, yeah. we've set up this program to reach out to include everyone because we know that um, uh, nurses are better, right, when everyone else is around us is also in a good place. So we offer this program to everyone. It's open to everyone. But um, in terms of formal collaborations, um, I know um, I don't have any right now that in my head, but um, that we're doing because um, we're, we're, so in, we're, we're so entrenched with also um, with making this so with making this right for nurses. Right. Because sure. um, that's a large group. Yeah. We have 4.3 million nurses in this country mm-hmm. and a testament to how it's hard to get people to engage sometimes because they're so busy. Sure. We only have uh, 320,000 participants. So, and that's not without a lot of effort and, and expense yeah. and resources yeah. being applied to amplifying our work, what mm-hmm. we're doing, why we're here, the fact that it's free. Uh, you can yeah. connect with people in your any in in any community on how to be better for yourself. Mm-hmm. But um, so we continue to try to focus on breaking the culture, and we do believe sure. our, our mantra is also about um, us leading the nation and being mm-hmm. role models to the nation to be well. So mm-hmm. we really believe that once we take the lead, because nurses are educators too, we'll get everyone else to follow. Mm. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> I love that you're advocating for to be role models mm-hmm. for others because mm-hmm. it's so important. Yeah. And what advice would you give, Katie, to the emerging leaders about being exemplars for well-being, being those role models? Any few words of advice to the emerging leaders? Yeah, I, I say own it. Um, make it your mantra. Um mm. Um, make sure you include that as one of your values and, 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 uh, walk the talk, mm-hmm. uh, build it in systematically. I, I actually talk about, um, in some of my presentations, um, on this in terms of how you can set this up, um, for you to have an effective, um, 
program or system of wellness, uh, you have to make it systemized. You have to make it structured. You have to build in sustainability. You have to measure success. And it also needs to be sacred. And I threw sacred in there because um, these are the things that tends to be cut when times get tough. Yep. So you have to like throw your body in front of it every single time to say, nope, this cannot be touched. Because when I started here, I said, this is what I believe in. Um, I have the data that proves that my nurses need this and Mm -hmm. this is what we're doing. Oh, I love that. So, Mm -hmm. so I, I, I really do think that it takes uh, an emerging leader to own it and declare it um, and build it in as an expectation um, and then everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm. 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 That's great. That is awesome. That is awesome. So true. Wow. What non-negotiable. A great... Yes. The totally. non-negotiables. <laughs> well, totally. you know, we won't have a workforce <laughs> if we don't take a stand, right? Like we're, we're really at risk here. The whole country's at risk because of what's happening. And if we don't take a stand and say, no, this is not negotiable. We won't have a workforce. We won't have health care at all. A lot at stake. I mean, that's a lot at stake. That's true. And that's the implication because as much as we're providers of care, we're consumers of care too. That's right. So we do have a dual investment in in making sure that this is done right. (laughs) Yes. Um, And, and it, 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 it's really, it really needs to be clear that it's build a culture of, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Yep. Um, and look at some of the things that we've that have been sacred cows for us in nursing, where um, for a nurse to have a day off, um, there is this, you know, annoyance if the schedule is already posted, if they ask for yeah. a day off. And then yeah. you send go into the wild and find someone to cover you. Um, and, and life happens, right? The doctor's sure. appointments or what have you. But we we've made it so that it's hard to get a day off. We, we make sure that even when we, we encourage folks, okay, find someone that will cover you. We also put in all these stipulations, like make sure, you know, it's not going to be overtime. Like that type of stuff has to go away. Even, um, I, and I'm, I remember being guilty of this too, or, um, I would have educators that would say, oh yeah, the way to get people to read things is to put signs and, and in stuff the in the bathroom stalls and they'll read them when they're using the bathroom. <laughs> That should not happen. That, has to be. that is so true. That has um, to stop. Right? Oh, yes. People, people should be allowed to pee in peace. That's right. right. So That's there right. are all these things that we've done historically. I also remember when I would have, you know, no one wanted to work nights, and I'll have my typical night shift team. And whenever a night shift person wanted to go on vacation, it was calamity. Like, who's going to cover that? Yeah. Why is this person taking so much vacation? Could you talk to them and tell them? that they're not it's like all those things yeah. need to yep. be undone yes totally yeah. agree well and and you know a leader can't do it alone either so here's the True. other thing right you have to engage the staff in that this is about us and we own our culture we own the norms of our organization and if we decide that we want it to be different, it will be different. But we totally. have yeah. to decide. The leader can't do this alone. And they, yeah. they're they trying to, right? They're trying yeah. to. Yeah. And they can't. Yeah. They just can't. It, it has to be the collective. It does, yeah. That's what will shift the culture. You just have totally, to. Totally, because we are, um, our data that we've been um, 
reviewing uh, from the American Nurses Foundation indicates even, um, and it wasn't that great to begin with, um, the, the data that we have on nurses responding mm-hmm. to the question of my employer cares about my well-being. Um, that wasn't that great to begin with, but even um, as the criticality and the apex of the pandemic started to shift where we're in more of a chronic state, those numbers are getting worse. So yeah. it, it's not just, not that people are not working on it, are they doing the right things? Yeah. Are they the yes. things that matter and that have meaning? And and part of that also is providing space for nurses to be okay with saying that they're not in a good place. Yeah. We had a virtual roundtable where nurses were, um, which I didn't expect will come up, but nurses were saying that how do when how do we normalize being on medications as a nurse, like on on anti anxiety mm-hmm. and antidepressant medications. Um, and there used to be some shaming in that because if, if you don't share that information and if you did, it's a trip to HR yep. because you need to make sure that they have record that you like all those intrusive things. And yeah. mm-hmm. and to boot all the, the pieces about EAPs and how yeah. they're supposed to be the answer. And it's not the, the, the magic wand to addressing these issues. Not to mention, it's not a good thing that EAPs are sitting in HR departments. They right. don't belong there. They should not be in departments where people are hired and fired. It needs yeah. to be in wellness yeah. programs and employee right. occupational health programs. That's yeah. where it would matter. And then they sh- we should uh, make sure that it's understood that it is confidential. There is a way to make sure that there's some understanding of what data is being collected and how it can go back to nursing so they can see that um, it's more about how we want more people to engage in these programs versus keeping track of who's saying what in these programs. Right. There's so many things that we need to done that we've not done so well over the years. And we and I say I'm thankful to um, this newer breed and generation of nurses that woke us up to what needs to be done yep. and how yeah. we need to do, be do how we need to do this right moving yep. forward because it yep. hasn't been done right. Yeah. Yeah. They're a gift, really. Yeah, it is a gift. Wow. That was awesome. It was. Thank you so much. Ah, time for the missing questions. Now Michelle. we're gonna ask you some missing questions, Katie. Are you holding <laughs> on to your seat? <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna ask you two missing questions, then Tracy's gonna wrap up and then we'll wrap up our interview. Um, so the first one is what is your favorite thing to do when you do have Katie time, quote unquote? <laughs> Oh, um, my favorite thing to do. I love to dance. Uh, I do. Me so too. do we. <laughs> I love to dance. And, and, you know, I would, um, sometimes even retire from the TV room and go to the, my bedroom. And before I jump in for my evening shower, I'll play a favorite song and I'll just move to it like that. Yeah. That gives me joy. I, I love that. Um, and also being with nature, I love my morning walks, um, mm, beautiful yeah. day, just being out there wind. Um, and, and I, I, it's funny. I never, um, I was talking to someone recently because I used to be in a, live in a city city and now I'm not in the city anymore. And they said, could you stop talking? Cause I can hear birds in the background. Do you know that you, every time I call you, I can hear birds. And I was like, uh, I never pay attention to that. Yeah. So it, there, there's these sweet sounds of nature that we tend to lock out because we're in our phones, listening to music. Mm. And, and, um, a couple of times I have not had my earbuds in and it's been glorious uh, to do that. Oh, yeah. that's great. That's lovely. That's awesome. All right. Next question is, who is someone living or no longer living that you would love to have a cup of coffee and a conversation with today and why? Ooh. Um, 
I so I so living. I'll give you both. So living um, because of what it feeds in terms of my um, my adventurous um, alter ego side. And I think I mentioned earlier, I'm a big Beyonce fan. So yeah. it's definitely living her. Mm-hmm. Um, non living. Um, um, I think um, it would be uh, uh, Desmond Tutu, the late Archbishop uh, Desmond yes, Tutu. Yes. I'm, I'm starting to pay attention to his his writings and readings and quotes. And even this is a larger than life figure that insisted on being buried in a pine box. Mm, yeah. Um, and, um, it just showed to me how distilled he was, you know, he never got bigger than himself. And even towards the end, he was very clear about how he wanted that to go and to not make it all about him. Even though I think making that decision to be buried in a pine box kind of drew attention, like, wow, it, cause but yeah. it, but it just shows the type of person that he was. And um, I'm starting to do a lot to read more about him and his legacy and, and mm. his beliefs and, and how he led because um, he was a transformative figure, figure that mm-hmm. I don't think he, it's he's really talked about enough. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Ah, wonderful. All right. Here's the last question. So, you know, we teach people about polarity intelligence, about polarity mindset and the both and, and that oftentimes the challenges that we face are really interdependent poles, interdependent values or perspectives that need each other, you know, and uh, we talked about a few of those today, but we also know what we know about polarities is we tend to have a preference pole. So while we may value both, um, as an example, self-care and Mm -hmm. caring for others, we may value both, but we have a preference. We lean one way a little bit more than the other. It's just nature. It's nothing right or wrong about it. It's just knowing that, right? That kind of bias, as you might say. So um, when it comes to leading and following, what would be your preference? Hmm. That's a great question. I'll say following. I would. I've I've done the leading part a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um I'm I'm at this point of humility with following. I I'll I'll one of the things that I'll say and one of the experiences I'll never forget. Um I I was in between employers. And I was at this point of um, trying to figure out what my next step was. At the same time, I had a fear of being forgotten about. Mm. Um, And then um, I decided that, um, and maybe it was with my husband's urging um, to do something. I started volunteering at a um, soup kitchen. Mm. Um, Called a soup kitchen, but it's really a dining room for the less fortunate. And um, I would do, you would go online and you sign up for whether you want to do lunch service or evening service. Um, but in my mind leading, um, I, I decided that, okay, um, when I get there, 
I'm going to look at things and see how they're running things. I'm going to show them how they can do it more efficiently because that's <laughs> kind of my thing. I'm going to go in and, and kind of run things um, and probably do some leadership stuff there while I the other opportunity opens up. Right. And then I go there and they say, oh, this is your first day. Let me show you around. OK, here's a here. Here is a bucket. Here's a mop. Here are three bowls. Where in one bowl you put soap, the other you put water, and the other you put bleach. And you're going to clean the dining room. And I'm looking at this going, oh my gosh, this is what my life has become. <laughs> like, I'm so, so, uh, because then I said, because then I said, well, if I'm here, why am I in the kitchen doing cleanup? Like, can I, like, be in the kitchen cooking something or should I be help with putting the, the, the trays together? Like, I'm here doing, um, you know, housekeeping work. Right. I'm, I, but then, um, there was, there was this, there was this appreciation that I finally did get by this process where I would, I felt so good to be small. Right. I felt so mm-hmm. good with my three buckets and my mop <laughs> and my, and, and I, and I attacked it with, um, with pride and ferociousness where, um, it became a thing where I'll go in and I'll just go right to the closet. Even if they, I had an opportunity to work in the kitchen, I'll go, no, no, I, I got this. <laughs> I go into my water and everything. And I did that for about two months. And, and while I was doing that, I'll have my earbuds and I'll listen to podcasts on podcasts on leadership. And I never told anyone what I did. And at the time I, I just left a role as a CNO and senior VP and they are looking at this young person because they're mostly older people in that space. And they're looking at me like I'm this lost soul. They was like, so, so tell me about you. What do you do when you're not volunteering? Do you have a job? And I was like, no. I was like, well, what do you, what do you do? What, what are you good at? Like, what did you learn? I said, well, healthcare. And I was like, well, could, you know, um, there's a place on the street that they, they had some signs that like, you want to look for a job there. Like they'll look for like, and, and I'm like, yeah, I'll check it out. But I felt content just not telling them about me and yeah. Yeah. being small and, and not just small in terms of the greater purpose, not small in terms of role by the way. No. Um, and, and this servitude where if, if, even if I'm not serving, I'm going to make this place clean and I'm going to make sure that, um, it's safe for people to eat and, and, and it's visually, visually appealing. And there was joy that I had in being in that space for that period of time that I will never forget. There was a peace Mm that I hadn't seen in years that I felt Mm. or, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and saw, and, and, and it just, I don't know. It was one of those moments in my life where it's, you know how some people will go to these like, um, uh, retreats where they like disconnect from, from technology and all that. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And how they claim that they feel like, I think I felt that during that time because I just felt so joyfully disconnected. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just absorbing myself in serving others, that was joy to me. That's great. So at this time in my life, um, it's followership, it's mm-hmm. learning the new things, the things that I thought that I knew and seeing them differently, mm-hmm. um, and really, um, um, pouring into other people. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you yeah. for sharing that story. That's so beautiful. Thanks for asking that. I, that was really great. 
Yeah, you're welcome. You're, you're welcome. welcome. You're welcome. And what a great interview. Thank you so much yeah, for you, being Katie. with us today and sharing all of what you've been learning and just all the wisdom that you're gaining and your insights. I'm so appreciative. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. been I've enjoyed this. And well, thank good. you for this platform. You guys are amazing. Uh-huh. Oh, thanks, Katie. You're welcome. You're welcome. And for our listeners, that's a wrap for another Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time. Stay safe and stay healthy. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, now a top rated podcast for healthcare leaders. Please share this podcast with other healthcare leaders and anyone else you think would benefit. We are certain that if you found value in it, they will too. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And also, it would mean the world to us if you took a quick moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. It helps to get the word out about our podcast and incredible guests. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch our podcasts. You can also follow us on our Missing Logic social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time.